Gospel according to John. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. They answered him, we are descendants of Abraham and have never been slaves to anyone. What do you mean by saying you will be made free? Jesus answered them, very truly I tell you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not have a permanent place in the household. The son has a place there forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Might you be seated. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, happy Reformation Sunday, a day that we celebrate Reformation. We give out Bibles to our third graders today because we want everyone to be biblically literate. We have come a long way from the Middle Ages where only a handful of people were literate enough to read the Bibles, and that handful was also a small percentage who could, only, who could also afford a Bible. Martin Luther, the leader of the Reformation, encouraged public education and translated the Bible into the language of the people into the, his country of Germany, so into the German language, no longer only allowing the elite who knew Latin to read the Bible, but all people. And so today we celebrate Martin, Martin Luther, who stood up to lots of the injustices that were taking place in the Roman Catholic Church at the time of the Middle Ages, 500 years ago. We celebrate our, that our clergy can marry, that we have congregational autonomy, that women and even LGBTQIA folks can be ordained in many of the churches of the Reformation. We celebrate that we are Reformation people. We are Lutherans. In the early part of the Reformation, it was the enemies of Luther that called the church Lutherans. Oh, those are those Lutherans. It was not a term of endearment, but an attack. They were saying, we are Christians, but they are Lutherans. Following, we are those who follow Christ, they just follow Luther, the man. And in the time the church took the term, in time the church took that term, that expression that was used to attack the Lutheran church and we embraced it as a badge of honor and it has stayed with our churches for over 500 years. Even those Protestant churches who seem to only find negative things to say about Lutherans have to recognize that they are still beneficiaries of Martin Luther and the Protestant Reformation. This is not the holiday though where we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. That's a different holiday. 
Though it is interesting to note, as I said in the children's sermon, that he got his name from Martin Luther. It came about because Martin Luther King Jr.'s dad, who was a Baptist pastor, went to Germany and was so moved by the life of Martin Luther that he changed his name from Michael King to Martin Luther King and wanted his son to do the same. And thus, eventually, Michael King Jr. changed his name to Martin Luther King Jr. And the name they took was the one who began the Protestant Reformation on October 31st, 1517. When he made public the 95 theses, the 95 points that the church should pay attention and reform to. We thank God for Martin Luther and for all in our church's past who have witnessed to the gospel. And because we are celebrating the Reformation, we are using the celebratory color of red. And so on this celebration day, what are the scripture lessons assigned for this day about? Sin. What we get on Reformation Day is not this victory parade for the Protestant church, but all who have sinned are slaves to sin, and that through the law comes knowledge of sin. Sin, sin, sin. Obviously, the people who decided what the readings are for this day, like Reformation Day, didn't get the memo that this is about celebrating who we are as Reformation people. Talking about sin is a downer. Over the years, I have had people encourage me to take out the confession of sin and forgiveness portion of the service that we begin with because they said it's not very uplifting to talk about we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by love what we have left undone. Can't you take that part out? Sin's not the most popular topic these days. I love hearing Pastor Nadia Boltz Weber's story about how after leaving her very, very conservative Christian upbringing, when she first experienced the confession of sin and the absolution in the Lutheran liturgy, thought, that's just hogwash, she writes. I hated the part where everyone in church stood up and said what bad people they are and the past pastor from the distance of the chancel and the purity of their white robes and their stoles said, and God forgives you. Why should I care if someone says to me that some God I may or not really believe in has erased the check marks against me for things I may or may not even think are so-called sins. And she continues as she writes, my suspicion as this was because when I heard you are a sinner, what I really heard is, was you are bad, immoral, a bad immoral person and hey, if I am someone who doesn't cheat on my taxes or their spouse and doesn't murder or steal, then I don't really want to spend my Sunday mornings having someone in a white robe imply that I do. But in time, she learned that Martin Luther had a way of talking about sin that makes a whole lot more sense, she writes. He reminds us that sin is bigger than simple immorality. 
Sin, according to Luther, is being curved in on one's self without a thought for God or the neighbor. In that case, sin is missing the mark, and it's all, and, and it's all the ways we put ourselves in the place of God. It can be alcoholism or passive aggression. It can be hateful things we think but never say, or it can be hurting people through our sexuality, or it can be that feeling of superiority when we are helping others and think how good we are. Sin is the fact that my ideals and values are never enough to make me always do what I should, feel what I should, think what I should. And anything that reveals those shoulds to me is what we Lutherans call the law. The law being the very thing Paul in his letter to the Romans said reveals sin. The shoulds in our lives are the things that make us see how far off the mark we are. No matter what we think, the shoulds our personal morality and family values, whether progressive and, or conservative political convictions, there is always, there's always, no matter how hard we try, always a gap between our ideal self and our actual self. And deep down, we know that we are all kind of a mess. It's not, I'm okay, you're okay, but I'm not okay, and you're not okay, and that's the real truth. I think I'm being funny and realize it's understood as being rude and insensitive. Or because of my own insecurities, I don't respond with compassion and empathy to someone who is sharing their struggles in life, and instead I focus on me, myself, and I, I, should go, I could go on with these examples. We all know them, but that would be a downer of a sermon. But it is in those alone moments when we know that we are a mess and we make all sorts of promises and think about getting in all sorts of self-improvement programs in those quiet times, we know what the law can do to us how cruel the distance between our ideal self and our actual self can feel. And that feeling of not ever really hitting the mark, whatever mark that is, succeeding that way we think we should succeed is the feeling of the law convicting us. Martin Luther knew what it felt like for the law to convict him, accuse him, leave him with nowhere to rest. And what really sparked the Protestant Reformation is as he was getting overwhelmed with this way of feeling and thinking, he read that passage we just heard from Romans, since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, <clears throat> they are now justified by his grace as a gift. 
and he believed it to be true. And because he believed that God's grace is a gift, he no longer accepted what had for so long been taught, that we are really saved by our works, by the works of the law. The medieval church had mixed up law and gospel, and Luther began to see the difference. And by so doing, he became a preacher of grace, and that changed everything. <clears throat> but mixing up law and gospel isn't just a medieval thing or a Catholic thing, it's a human thing. And we do it all the time. In some ways you could say it's almost like a disease. So in celebration of Reformation Sunday, let's try to be a little more attentive in trying to spot the difference between the law and the gospel. And here's how you do it. The law is almost always an if-then proposition. If you follow all the rules in the Bible, then God will love you and you will be happy. If you lose 20 pounds, then you will be worthy to be loved. The law is always conditional and it is never anything anyone can do perfectly. When we treat the law as gospel, there can never be life and happiness and worthiness. Under the law, there are only two options, pride or despair. When fulfilling the shoulds is the only thing that determines our worthiness, we are either prideful about it, about our abilities to follow, look how good I am, the rules compared to others, or we despair in our inability to perfectly do anything. Either way, what Luther called it was bondage, or it is an act of creating a story. We can create a story or a narrative that tries to make us feel superior. Our confirmants are studying the Ten Commandments right now. The law is pretty harsh. They go um, like this. You shall have no other gods, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Honor your father and mother, do not kill, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and, do, and then there's two of do not covet others' stuff. I, the Lord your God, though it begins, and then it, or no, it continues, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. That's law. It's in the Bible. And it's not the most comforting thing visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth. That is not comforting and reassuring and this doesn't sound like grace to me. It's law. But I think its purpose is to drive us to the gospel. And that's why the gospel is different. The gospel is not an if-then proposition. The gospel is a because. Because 
because, because proposition, because God our creator and because God is our creator and because we rebel against the idea of being created beings and instead try to insist that we be gods for ourselves, because God will not play by our rules and because in the fullness of time when God had had quite enough of all of that, God became human in Jesus Christ to show you who God really is. And because when God came to God's own and we received him not, and because God would not be deterred, God went so far as to hang from the cross that we built and did not even lift a finger to condemn, but said, forgive them for they know not what they are doing. And because Jesus Christ defeated even death and the grave and rose on the third day, and because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God and forever turned in on ourselves and forget that we belong to God and that none of our success guarantees God's love and none of our failures excludes God's love because God loves God's very own creation and refuses to to let our sin and brokenness and inability to always do the right thing to be the last word because God came to save, not to judge. Therefore, therefore, you are saved by grace as a gift, not by the works of the law, not by the shoulds of the law, but by God's embrace, God's grace and love, and this truth will set you free. It will reform us. It's reformation. This is most certainly true. Amen. Thanks be to God.